The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Bienvenidos, everyone. Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast. This is episode 170. We are your hosts, Shelby and Kevin. Hola. And we are discussing 3rd Nephi, chapter 7 today, and we are super excited to talk about this chapter. Just a quick recap from 3rd Nephi, chapter 6. We saw a lot of prosper prosperous things happening and then Satan was able to make the way into the hearts of the people and many prophets are sent to cry repentance and of course there's some conspiracy in the government and we actually gave a little preview at the end of last week's episode about what would happen in third Nephi chapter seven so right so I wanted to address that because the first thing that Mormon says in verse one, he says, now behold, I will show unto you that they did not establish a king over the land. But in this same year, yea, the 30th year, they did destroy upon the judgment seat. Yea, they did, uh, they did murder the chief judge of the land. And if you look up in the header or the heading, excuse me, of the chapter, it says Jacob and Antichrist becomes king of a secret combination. And it's like, wait a second, Mormon, what are you talking about? It, they do make a king. But I think he's making the distinction that he'll show that they didn't achieve their, you know, their ultimate goal of placing a king over the whole land. And that's what we're going to get into this week. Yeah, we had that discussion earlier in the week because, you know, Kevin brought it up and I... And we talked about it. So I'm glad that you clarified that right up front because it's just important to remember. It wasn't like, I think when he's talking about king, having a king to rule the land, it was like what King Benjamin had warned about, right? Or King Mosiah had warned about when he set up the reign of the judges. Right. I think there's it just some clarity is needed. It wasn't super clear. Um, you can definitely get caught up on that and kind of confused as to what's going on. But Mormon actually lays it out. He he lays out like the process by which all this happened. We can dive in if you're ready. Oh, I'm ready. Verse two, he says, the people were divided one against another. That's like this, the first step, right? Um, well, not the first step, but like it was a result of the, the chief judge being murdered. And that was like one of the major, uh, you know, things that happened, which then caused them to separate one from another into tribes. And it says every man according to his family and his kindred and friends. And how I see that is like, yes, you know, familial bonds, but also no no ties to God or country, right? So really not, I mean, 
the I think the only the second strongest thing is probably family. And that's what they fell down to when they didn't have God and they didn't have country. They fell down to the family level, right? Which I have a lot of thoughts. We won't get on all of them, but just just a little taste of my my belief and my my philosophy on this, you know, nationalism, although that's a, a, a hot topic, nationalism actually prevents the splintering of societies into tribalism, where people are kind of, you know, lawless, right? There's no one law to govern the land. Everyone decides, oh, my tribe believes this, and we're going to follow these laws. And your tribe can do whatever they want, but don't infringe upon my tribe. Otherwise, we'll fight, right? That's the purpose of country. The purpose of God is to, well, obviously in our faith, it's to perpetuate, you know, uh, our family relations beyond the grave um, and, and perfect us, right? But from a societal standpoint, God serves as a, a, a second witness to the law. Hey, keep the laws of the land. Otherwise, God will will smite you, right? Eternally. So. I would say God is the witness of the law, not the second witness of the law. Well, no, for, for the country, like, you know, that's how, that's how like the courts are set up. They say, hey, listen, uh, if the law is not going to keep you in check, remember that there's a God. So they're kind of putting him... I, Okay. Oh, I see. Like, I see what you mean. I'm just. I'm just thinking really big picture here, and the fact that. Well, of course, it's we the, have it's the Book of Mormon podcast. Of course, right. God is going to be number one. Right. But I'm talking about from a societal governing standpoint. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry. Got. It. Just had to clarify for my own sake. So, what Kevin just described about how there's lots of different tribes, and hey, don't infringe upon mine and I won't infringe upon you or else we're going to fight. That's exactly what's happening here. And that's described in the the following verses. Uh, but it does say, it does note in verse five, it says, all this was done. There were no wars as yet among them. And all this iniquity had come upon them because they did yield themselves into the power of Satan. And then verse six, the regulations of the government were destroyed because of the secret combination of the friends and the kindreds of those who murdered the prophets. And they did cause a great contention in the land in so much that the more righteous part of the people had nearly all become wicked. And that's when we know when the more part of the people choose wickedness. We've talked about this a lot since Alma that that is ripening for destruction. Like I wish Mormon would have put in a, and thus we see that the more righteous part of the people, because that's one of these principles here, right? And that's pretty much, Kevin, verse eight, you actually quoted last week on the podcast, right? About how six years, six years, guys, they saw the miracles six years ago. And this and in that time, 
they've already returned back to their old ways and unbelieving hearts. Yeah. And like it says in the verse you quoted, like the dog to his vomit. Yeah, just some powerful imagery uh, from from Proverbs, right? Right. And then here again, I didn't know. I didn't know that Mormon references it here. I, I hadn't read into this chapter yet, but You were thanks. just in tune, you know? Thanks, Mormon. He's, yeah. he's here with us, you know? Um, he's crying from the earth. So this secret combination, which had brought so great iniquity upon the people, in verse 9, did gather themselves together. Isn't it interesting? Like, now the secret combination is kind of like, it's... It's people, right? Like a se- the secret combination was the the agreements, the conspiracy itself. But now the secret combination is the group of people engaging in the conspiracy, and that's right. an that's an interesting distinction to make because when when we become so like entrenched in our sins to the point where we're not uh we can't separate ourselves from those sins i mean that's when the devil has us that's when he gets to that's when he we've lost our agency and we do exactly what he wants us to do wow that's pretty powerful Uh, we could talk about that for a while but We will not, because we do need to continue. Now, the king of this people, the secret combinations, is called Jacob. And he's the wicked, wicked king. This is that king that I would say you might get confused, might be the king of the land. He is not the king of the land. He is just the king over the wicked combinations. And It's interesting because it says he was one of the chiefest who had given his voice against the prophets who testified of Jesus. So part of why he is chosen is because he is the most vocal against the prophets of the church or the angels that are coming to minister and call them to repentance. Right. So that's just interesting to think about and ponder on. Because we do see that in our society today. We see more voices that are louder than others, especially on social media. Talk to me about that on social media if you like. You can come find me. Um, but there, it's, in verse 11, I just want to read it. It says, It came to pass that there were not so strong in number as the tribes of the people who were united together, save it were their leaders. They did establish their laws, everyone according to his tribe. Notwithstanding, they were not a righteous people, yet they were united in the hatred of those who had entered into the covenant to destroy the government. So I would say, Kevin, as you were talking earlier, they've taken God out of it. I think what they've replaced that with is this covenant to basically hate on righteous people, right? To bring that cause down to destruction. Right. Well, and it's, it serves themselves, right? right? It serves their own purposes. So they can keep doing what they're doing. Right. And have, quote unquote, no consequences, even though we know they will have eternal consequences. This is also something that usually we see the secret combination do. 
um, or those who uh, par participate in secret combinations, they flee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in verse 12, Jacob, seeing that their enemies were more numerous than they, he being the king of the band, he commanded his people that they should take their flight into the northernmost part of the land and there build up unto themselves a kingdom until they were joined by dissenters. For he flattered them that there would be many dissenters and they became sufficiently strong to contend with the tribes of the people. And they did so. And so speedy was their march that it could not be impeded until they had gone forth out of the reach of the people and thus ended the 30th year. And thus were the affairs of the people. So if we actually go back to verse 2, the people were divided. They separate themselves one from another into tribes. And it says, and thus they did destroy the government of the land. So those were the things that occurred which destroyed the government. The government was the only thing that kind of contained or or was was protecting them right um the chief judge a righteous man the the righteous military leaders you know they they were a protection right and without those safeguards in place jacob and the secret combination and then the dissenters were able to flee and kind of steal away and build up this kingdom, build up resources, like begin to plot, right? And nobody knew what was going on. There's no spies <laughs> to be sent out to gather intelligence because who are they going to report to? Which tribe? And is are the tribes talking to one another? Probably not, right? So you see how how catastrophic it can be when we separate ourselves into these tribes. Just relating this to our day really quickly, President Nelson's devotional to the young single adults, we will link it, but he talks about this exact reason as to why he says your three most important identifiers should be that you're a child of God, you're a disciple of Christ, and you're a child of the covenant. All of those should come first before anything else. because if these people here would have heeded that counsel, there would not have been these issues, right? There would not have been these things going on. And so it just relating it back to our day right now, we need to be careful. It is uh, May of 2023, not to fall into divisions. Our one un uniting factor should be Christ and that we are all a part of the body of Christ. And I said this last week, but just as every body part functions differently, it's the same in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We need all different types of people, all different nationalities, all different thinking styles, uh, leadership styles. We need it all to work and function. And instead of dividing because we have differences, we need to unite in those differences through Jesus Christ. That's why all the talks that have been given lately in general conference say Jesus Christ is the answer because he truly is the answer where two completely different people, two different tribes, two different nationalities, whatever it is that is different about them 
can come together in unity through Jesus Christ and work for the cause of him, right? So I just wanted to take that and pull it in something that is applicable to our day right now. I appreciate that. That really goes well with this next verse. Verse 14 is a really long verse. Oh, yeah. It's a good verse, though. It's good. Well, I... We can... We can yeah take a lot of pieces of it but i i want to i want to get real surgical and it's something it. we've already been talking about well right that's that's why i didn't want to necessarily go line by line right. but i wanted to go straight to the point that backs up what, what you know what we're talking about here go for it it says that they came to an agreement these tribes they come to an agreement that they would not go to uh, to war one with another. Well, that's a relief. <laughs> they decided not to just slaughter one another, right? But they were not united as to their laws and their manner of government. For they were established according to the minds of those who were their chiefs and their leaders, right? And furthermore, it talks about they turned from God and cast stones at the prophets. So who were their leaders? They were worldly men. Maybe not bad. They weren't wicked. I don't know. Actually, they were probably well, they, wicked. They were wicked. They were they wicked were because they, right? The I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> what I meant is they weren't like, you know, these diabolical fiends. They But they were worldly, right? And that that's an important distinction to to realize but then also this decision to not go to war with one another it reminded me of a talk that president oaks gave way back when in april of 1990 titled world peace and he talks about how he says, many think of peace as the absent of, absence of war. Everyone, everyone wants that kind of peace. Songs celebrate it and bumper stickers proclaim it. Many good people promote peace by opposing war. They advocate laws or treaties to abolish war, to require disarmament, or to reduce armed forces. Those methods may reduce the likelihood or the costs of war, but opposition to war cannot ensure peace because peace is more than the absence of war. He says, for over 50 years, I have heard the leaders of this church preach that peace can only come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am coming to understand why. The peace the gospel brings is not just the absence of war. It is the opposite. It is the opposite of war. Gospel peace is the opposite of any conflict, armed or unarmed. It is the opposite of national or ethnic hostilities, of civil or family strife. So, merely having, you know, how I see it is this agreement to not go to war is very loosely based. It's, it's this loose agreement and again, it's based on, you know, laws of men, 
with no there no sight of the godly statutes and and righteous edicts that their fathers knew and respected so well which preserved them you know and i think that's why it says in so much that in some degree they had peace in the land right because it's not true peace like you just quoted from elder hooks that was wonderful we'll link that in the resources well at this time nephi he is he has seen all this happen and in a very short amount of time and even says uh, and also being eyewitness to their quick return from righteousness unto their wickedness and abominations he sees it happen and of course he's grieved right uh, and it says, for the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their minds. Now, for those who are temple uh, attending members, the blindness of their minds really stuck out to me in some of the promises in the initiatory. And being able to, you know, see clearly between right and wrong and good and evil. We, are, we have lots of counsel on that. And here we can see that there's a blindness to that, right? That they've let happen with the influence of Satan. And so at this point, Nephi goes among among them in the same year. He doesn't wait. He goes the same year and he goes to testify boldly repentance and remission of sins through faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, because that is the only thing that can save them at this point. They know it. And those who have remained righteous and faithful, they know it too, especially those who didn't return back to the wickedness, right? And it says, he did minister many things unto them, and all of them cannot be written, and a part of them would not suffice. Therefore, they are not written in this book, which I found very interesting. We don't even get to see this mission, right? We don't even get to see what Nephi does or what he says or the stories maybe of people that come and return back to Christ. But it does say that he did minister with power and with great authority. And I can only imagine that with that authority that he is given and called of God to do, that there were miracles that did take place in hearts of individuals. So if I ever uh, get to see Nephi, not Nephi, the first Nephi, but this third Nephi, if I ever get to see him, I want to know about some of those stories because this is the time right before Christ is coming to appear to the Americas. Like we are just chapters out. So it would be really cool to hear those stories. But of course, all the people are angry with him. Third, or what is it? First Nephi 16, two, the wicked take it the truth to be hard. And it says, for it were not possible that they could disbelieve his words. For so great was his faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, that angels did minister unto him daily. So like there is no denying, but they just get so mad. They can't even fight back anymore. They're just angry because he is just, I just picture him debunking everything they're saying because of his great authority and power and his love for them. It's not because he wants to go disprove them wrong. He wants them to come back to Christ, right? That's his whole motive. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this is, we, we've stepped away in the narrative 
from Nephi at this point, but I mean, this is, he's not, he's not a young man at this point. Like he's, he's a venerable uh, disciple of Jesus Christ. He's a prophet. You know, he's seen many things. I mean, this, this is the same Nephi who, you know, was, uh, was up in, in his tower, right? Crying to God, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, he's seen cycles of pride and prosperity. And so, although he knows that the Lord has come and then, you know, uh, you know, immortality, he's, he's not, he's not, um, what am I trying to say? He's, uh, he's still looking forward to that day and he's doing as much work as he can until that moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, which I don't know, there's, there's kind of like an enduring to the end, uh, very much in these last few chapters and verses about Nephi, like think about what he's thinking and, and how his experiences must be, you know, shaping and reinforcing his faith and testimony. And then ultimately to see his savior in the flesh, we can really, if we, if we try, we can liken ourselves to Nephi in that regard. Like we have to keep on doing the things we know we're supposed to be doing and we will in the flesh see God. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So Nephi, you know, I kind of misspoke because we do get to see some of what he does. We just don't get particular stories. Uh, but we do know that there were those that did, there are some, it says, but few who were converted into the Lord. Uh, but as many as who were converted did truly signify unto the people that they'd been visited by the power and spirit of God. That truly signify, you know, that just take it for me, but it is through baptism. It is through covenants that they signified that they are going to follow Jesus Christ, right? Or a renewal of their covenants, a repentance of their baptismal covenants, right? Coming back to him. Now that's not linked anywhere, but I can only imagine that that's the sign that they gave to God, right? And there's many devils cast out, sicknesses healed, um, just lots of miracles that are happening in Nephi's mission. I think it's important that they they also signified, yes, they signified through covenant to God. And they also signified unto the people that they had been visited by the power and spirit of God, which was in Jesus Christ and whom they believed. You know, they were witnesses of Christ among the people, which was probably a unpopular stance. Cut you off. (laughs) Right at the time. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that they they did make covenants with God, but then they also signified to their peers that they knew that Jesus Christ was Lord. Um, it's very important. I mean, we, we don't, I don't do that. I was about to say we, I'm not going to lump everybody in this thing. I don't do that enough. I make my covenants with God and then 
I kind of uh, dip out. Like I, I almost don't necessarily signify unto the people, right? I would say that's called bearing testimony. Like, well, yeah, right. But I or a part of bearing testimony. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One way that you can signify. So that's one thing. And the reason I brought that up is because we just had a fifth Sunday on being a missionary and sharing your testimony and you can do it in really, truly simple ways. Right. So that was just an idea that came to my mind. But yeah, I would, I would agree with you on everything that you said. Uh, So the 32nd year passes away and then now we're up to the 33rd year and he's still going strong on his mission. Okay. This is a long mission he's on. Um, and it does say in verse 24, Hey, back it up that there were none who were brought into repentance who were not baptized with water. So we can, I got scriptures back me up on that thought now. Um, they were baptized and Nephi, man, he's setting up people. He is ordaining people to the ministry, um, that they should be baptized and receive a remission of their sins. And it says in 26, it says there were many in that commencement of this year, the 33rd year, that were baptized into repentance, and thus the more part of the year did pass away. Y'all, this is the year, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me, but this is the year that Christ is about to come. Or yes. the year before. Well, 30, yeah, 34th a- year. Sorry, I think yeah. it's the 34th year he comes. So we are less than a year away from Christ coming, and there's people coming and being baptized so there we should talk about that yeah there are a lot of parallels that you can draw between like the last days and these days before christ coming right everyone kind of knows that at this point but think about this this last harvest that nephi is participating in and, and leading right, as the Lord's prophet on the earth at that time, and, you know, really thrusting the sickle, making sure that as many as would be saved, get that opportunity. And then those who, you know, who have signified uh, to, to God and to the people, they're, they're actually preserved later on through the great uh, tempests and earthquakes and things like that. Not, not every single one of them maybe, but, and it's not something that we can expect, uh, or, or feel that we're entitled to that protection in the last days, but there's something there to be said that, you know, the, the Lord wants to gather his people and, and as a hen gathereth her chicks to protect them during these these tumultuous times and so over the next couple weeks as we talk about some of the the more old testament style scripture of destruction of a vengeful seemingly vengeful god we want to remember that the lord's done his work up to this point and the people were able to choose the way of life or the way of misery and death. I really appreciate those thoughts because we are going to move into some chapters that 
seem like God isn't very merciful. However, let's always reference back to this moment on episode 170 about how merciful he really is because he did give them every opportunity. He truly did. And I think that's where we find Christ in this chapter all over. I mean, this is the chapter where prophets were sent, but yet they were stoned and they were cast out and they were made fun of. And like you said, Kev, we could draw a lot of parallels. <laughs> we won't do that. But what I will invite you to do is share your testimony more of the things that you know to be true. Do not be afraid to say something. And this is what I mean. I'm just going to give an example so you can so you can know what I'm talking about, how simple this can be. I had a friend who had a miscarriage. And she is not a member, but she does know that I believe in Christ. And she knows I'm a member of the church. And she called me and she told me that they went into the sonogram and there was no more heartbeat. And as you can imagine, that's very heartbreaking. And the only thing I could think to say to her in that moment was that I love her so much. And also that I know that she will get to see that spirit one day. And I just said it just like that. I said, I know you will have that baby to raise again one day. I promise you, you will. I said, I know that because of the plan that our Heavenly Father has laid out for us. And that's all I said to her, just those two little lines. And she said, thank you so much. That's very comforting to hear. Did she believe it? I don't know, but she did say it was comforting. And that's the ways that I'm talking about that you can just bear simple testimony. I didn't have to go into the whole plan of salvation, okay? I didn't have to go into all the details. I just said, I know you will get to see that baby and raise it again because of the plan that Heavenly Father has for us and his children. That's all I said. And she said, thank you. So it's little things like that where you can bear your testimony in a world that's really hurting. So that's my invitation I would leave to you to be more like Nephi here and thrust in your sickle and take every opportunity you can to bear your testimony. Amen. Sorry. I'm just very passionate about this right now in my life. It was a great chapter. Yeah, it was really good. Brought a lot of feels. So for sure. Well, we'll be in third Nephi chapter eight next week. And we're going to have some guests coming up soon, hopefully, as we head into these chapters before Christ comes and when he comes and after. So it's the year of guests, so we're bringing them on. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Hey, leave us a review, please. We would love to have more people find our podcast when they search for the Book of Mormon. So the way that we can best help people find it is through reviews. So if you can leave us one, that'd be great. Absolutely. We'd appreciate that. All right, y'all. Have a good night. Bye. My dear brothers and sisters, I promise that as you prayerfully study the Book of Mormon every day, you will make better decisions every day. I promise that as you ponder what you study, the windows of heaven will open and you will receive answers to your own questions and direction for your own life.